Welcome to the River Valley Podcast. When I was growing up, my family and I had a wonderful Texas tradition in the summers, which is escape the heat and go to Colorado for vacation. Any of y'all get to do that this summer? All right, people around you hate you. So, uh, so... We did, and, and uh, we always went with my with my uh, aunt and uncle. My cousin, uh, he was a little bit older than me, and so we got along great, and we had lots of fun. My sister didn't have a, a built-in cousin, and so a lot of times, you know, as she was littler, uh, my dad would, you know, make sure and watch out for your sister. And one day we were sitting around, and it was kind of getting a little bit late in the afternoon, and, and my dad says, where's your sister? And she wasn't anywhere to be found, and I didn't know where she was. Now, as a good son and a good brother, my thoughts should have been, oh no, my sister is lost. But my thoughts truly were, oh no, I'm going to get in trouble. So, so because she was, they couldn't find her. And so we're in the middle of a national forest. And so my, my dad says, you and, and your cousin, y'all go look for her. We'll stay here in case she comes back. Uh, that way she, she finds it. And so we went looking around and we, we couldn't find her. We came back to the camp and she still wasn't there. We went out again. It's getting longer and longer. And so, so panic starts to set in. You know, did, did someone uh, take her? Uh, is she lost in the forest? What's going on? And I'll never forget. And I've heard my dad tell the story uh, many times since of the joy he felt because my sister got turned around and didn't know where she was. And the, the couple that found her and took her to every single campsite. Is this your trailer? Is this working? And, and my dad, the joy he felt when he saw them bringing my sister home and the tears of both of them as they cried and he embraced her and how wonderful that was to be lost and found, and how, how exciting it was to see my sister uh, be found in that way. We're in the middle of a series, and so I want you to be turned to Luke chapter 15 about how do you get lost? Like, how do you actually get lost? If you don't know Jesus Christ, or if you're far from God today, how did that happen? And the Bible describes four different types of lostness. Last week, we talked about the sheep that just wanders off. We talked about the coin that, that's dropped. Today we're going to look at a story about two sons, and both of which are lost, and, and how they became lost, and how they are reconciled, and what it takes to be reconciled back to God. So uh, I'm going to read this. This is the prodigal son's story, if you're familiar with, with Christianity. And so I'm going to read this like a chapter book today, so that you, you feel the drama and the story unfold, as, as opposed to, to reading the whole thing, and you're like, oh, okay, I got it. We're going to feel it as it unfolds. So we're going to read a chapter book today. Chapter one is rebellion. Luke 15, beginning in verse 11 says, uh, he said, Jesus said to them, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to him. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all that he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. This is an easily understood story. You know people like this. Many of you are like me, and you were the younger son. You, you dis, uh, refused to, to adopt your family's ethics or religion or way of life, and you decided, and you went off, and you decided to do things your own way. And you squandered opportunity and you wasted years of investment from your parents. Your money was gone. This is my story. 
So many times in my life, especially late high school and college, I completely refused to live by the Christ that my family tra uh, trained me and, and raised me to live by. And I, I, I feel this story because I feel the word you squander so much. So much was invested in you and so much was, was put into and you had so much potential and you continued and you found yourself all of a sudden squandering and those opportunities going away. That's the story of the younger son. What's interesting about this story is that the, the dad is a landowner. So, so he would have inherited a, a portion of his dad's land. But since his dad doesn't have the money, doesn't say, hey, I want to run the farm. He says, I want the money. The dad has to sell the land. The, the dad has to sell the land and give his son the money. The son is looking at the dad and saying, I just wish you were dead. I don't want anything to do with you. It is a harsh reality that this son has blatantly chose to follow what he wants to do versus honor the dad who raised him. And so he rebels against so much. He rebels against his faith. He rebels against his family. He rebels against the ethics and the way he should live his life. You've experienced that or you know people who have. What's interesting about those of us that experience it is we know what's coming. Even if you're not a Christian, you know the story's not going to end up in the next stage well. You know where rebellion takes you. You know the, uh, the road and where it takes you. But what's interesting is those of us who've been on that road, we tend to think, oh, I see where it's going, but not for me. <laughs> I mean, think about it. Is there anyone in America today that says, you know what we need? We need more drugs. I mean, drugs are great. You know, if you would just start smoking some crack, your life would turn out so much better. No one says that. I mean, all of us understand how bad and how destructive drugs are. Yet it's such a huge problem in our nation. Why? Because people wear this imaginary coat of invincibility. That's the way it is for other people, but not me. I can control it. I can only go this far, or it won't lead this path for me. And rebellion always does. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And so those of us who have lived this way and squandered opportunity and resources find ourselves in those moments. Chapter 2, reality. Chapter 2 is reality. It says, after he had done and spent everything, a severe famine came and struck the country, and he had nothing. So then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the field to feed pigs. And he... Uh, he longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. This is the moment in the story where the Jews would have gone, oh, pigs. These are kosher people. They wouldn't have, not only would they not have eaten pigs, they wouldn't have allowed them in their towns. This is in a far off country, and he is absolutely at the bottom of where rebellion leads us. The reality is the wages of sin is death. And so he's experiencing that. He's experiencing the, the, the shame and the guilt. He's experiencing the consequences of his own sin. Now, we don't know how long this took. This could have been a years-long process for him to spend all this money and for him to party it away. We don't know. But we know where it ends up in, this, in his life. Now, I'm going to take a break for just a second and say, if you are a parent and you have a child who is this way, let me encourage you to look at what the father does. 
This is the only story of the four stories where the father does not go after and chase the son. The shepherd goes and finds the sheep. The woman cleans the house for the lost coins. And in a moment, we're going to see the father go to the older brother. But the younger brother, he lets him go and he doesn't chase after him. Here's the deal. When there's wickedness and rebellion in your heart, your, your tendency as a parent is to not want to watch your children suffer. You can't stop them from doing wickedness, but what you can do is alleviate some of the consequences by paying so that they don't have to experience them. This father doesn't do that so that his son feels the weight of his own decisions. Now, my encouragement is, I hope your children are young enough that you can do that on a fairly small scale. What do you have to do? You just, you, you, you have to let them fail some. You have to let them uh, experience the consequences of their own sin in school or their own uh, uh, way that they treat people. But later on, if you don't, you have to experience the consequences like my parents did with my sister and let them go to prison. The reality is it, your sin leads you to places you didn't want to go. A couple of years ago, I was preaching a sermon and my sister was here. And my sister, uh, you know, I said, hey, my sister's down here. And I, and I gave this illustration that I was wayward in college and I partied and, you know, messed up and, and all of this and how good God was to, to give me this grace back. So afterwards, this lady comes up to my sister and she goes, oh, so your brother, he was the wild one. He was the one who really messed up. And she goes, Yes, he was. My, my sister got saved in prison. All right, she was, you, you know, like, I flunked out of school. That was my rock bottom. My sister was like, I'm going all the way. I mean, you, you know, you're like, what's this, you know? And so she, you know, my poor parents, they had both of us who experienced this reality of our sin. But mine was, I flunked out of school, and hers was, she, was, she went to prison. But both of them, I mean, I can't imagine the the. the fear. I can't imagine the guilt and anxiety of my parents, but they watched those things unfold as they faithfully prayed for us for God to use those moments. It might be a long way to the bottom. Some of you are like my sister and you're just hard-headed. Uh, and so you just have to learn this incredible lessons over and over again for yourself. And I praise God that she has. She loves Jesus today. She's serving well. She's, she's wonderful. And so but you have to figure out the reality of where your life and where it takes you in those choices. Now, here's the part of the story that's the darkest, especially if you're on the outside watching this part. You're watching, and it's so dark. And it's so dark if you're the younger son experiencing it because what you feel like is that the moment you are irretrievably lost, you cannot come back. I love that the son doesn't go, you know what I could do is I could go get this job or I could invest some money. Or I could. He, he's, he's, he's absolutely destitute. He has nothing else to offer to get out of that situation. That is the place that Jesus wants you to come so that you realize and you don't do this. You don't do this. Well, I could do this or this and I can save myself and pull myself out. You're not irretrievably lost. You are to your way of thinking. You are to your decisions. But that's the moment that we learn to cry out to Jesus. Chapter 3, repentance. Chapter 3, repentance. It says, in Luke, it says, When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am, I'm dying of hunger. So I'll get up and I'll go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you in your sight. 
So I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but will you please make me like one of your hired workers? The son repents of his sin. Repentance starts out when you acknowledge, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you. You notice the son doesn't blame the father. Well, he didn't, he didn't hug me enough. He didn't do this. The son doesn't blame God in the circumstance. Why do you send a famine right now? I mean, I don't deserve that. He doesn't blame the situation on anything other than his own decisions. I acknowledge I have sinned. I'm fallen short of your glory. All the things that you taught me, it was me, and I acknowledge that. So you, repentance starts with acknowledging your sin. Number two, repentance is when we abandon the ways of the past. You do not repent until you leave behind the sin of the past and the ways of the past, the thinking of the past, the, the, the language of the past, everything. He abandons that. He, says, he doesn't say, I'll send a telegram to my dad. He said, I'll go home. I'll say, I don't want that life anymore. Now, he makes a mistake at this point, and he still does some bargaining with God. He still does this, look, I'm not worthy to be a son, so just make me like a hired hand. He still does some kind of bargaining with God, but, the, but, but his dad's not going to have any of that. He repents because once we abandon the way of the past, number three in repentance, we've got to adopt the way of our father. You say, you know, I used to be this way. I used to talk this way and do these things, but that's not who I am anymore. And I want to come back into your family. I want to come back into our town. I want to come back into the the faith that you raised me and the way that you taught me how to live. And I want to abandon my past, the choices I made, and I want to readopt being a part of who you are and how you raised me up to be. That's what repentance is. And after that, something amazing happens. Chapter 4 reconciliation. Reconciliation. The Bible says, so he got up, he's practiced this speech, and he went to his father. But while the son was still a long ways away, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. So he ran, he threw his arms around his neck, and he kissed him. Then the son says the the speech, father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. They are reconciled. What I love about the father is he doesn't see his son and he doesn't sit there and go, all right, this should be good. I love to hear what you have to say right now. You walked out of here with a bag full of money that I earned and gave you. You walked back and nothing. This ought to be nice. No, the father, he's watching. He's watching for that moment of repentance. He sees his son. Jewish men don't run, but he runs with abandon to go after his son. He hugs his neck, and they are reconciled. He doesn't put him on probation. He doesn't put him on the bench. He brings him back in his own way, in his own reconciliation, and they are now fully reunited as father and son because the father gives the son what he cannot earn on his own. Chapter 5, righteousness. Righteousness. The father stops the speech, and he stops it, and he says, but the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on his, put a ring on his fingers and sandals on his feet, then bring out the fatted calf and slaughter it, and let's celebrate with a feast. Why? Because this son of mine who was dead is now alive again. The son who was lost is now found. The father bestows on the son what the son has thrown away the father gives it back to him freely his righteousness 
So you don't have any, you're, you're about to see all these people around town. You don't have any shoes, son. Let me give you sandals. Ooh, you are dirty and you smell. Uh, that's the way sin is. Let me, let me give you a robe. You are uh, missed out on our family. Remember when you left your signet ring? It's a, it's a symbol of the fact that you are a, a member of a family. It's how you sign official documents. It's, it's uh, wearing that. And he says, you left that. Let me put that ring back on your finger and bring you back into the family of God. The son cannot re-earn what he has rightfully lost. The father has to bestow that upon him. The Bible says, Though we are sinners, Christ, righteous, Christ gives us his own righteousness. Christ gives us what he is as if he had never sinned. And this father treats the son like he had never sinned. Man, he completely restores that moment of not only are you my son, but you are righteous. Now you have shoes. Now the, 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 two, the two most important pieces here are the robe and the ring. The robe, he covers over. I mean, think about how the sun would have looked. Think about how, this, how dirty and how bad his clothes would have looked. And he covers that over with this, with this robe. It's a picture of when you and I come to Christ and we are dirty from our sins. The Bible says uh, our righteousness is as filthy rags in God's sight. And he sees us in our, in our dirt. He sees us in our filth. He sees us in our shame. And he covers that over, that robe, in his own righteousness. He gives us covering. He forgives our sins in Jesus Christ. For those of you who are here today, you might be like a son. Now, I hope you're not at the end of the road like this son was. You're much smarter when you see where the road is leading you. And you say, I see where this is going. I'm going to stop. Or you might be at the very end. And you might have nothing left to offer, nothing left to give. But either way, man, Jesus Christ says, I want to give you my righteousness as if you have lived perfectly without sin, a robe of righteousness. And then secondly, he gives him a ring. It's a signet ring. It's a, it's a picture of I'm bringing you back, not as a hired hand like you wanted. I'm bringing you back into the family. I'm bringing you back so that everyone knows my son was gone and he's returned and this is my son. This is a picture for us of us joining the family of God, of us getting saved and us going public with our faith and wearing this ring that says, I am now a Christian. It is by no accident that I'm preaching this sermon on this day because some of you need to do that today, literally today in your baptism. To stand up before the world and to be baptized in your faith to say, I've given my life to Jesus. And I want you to know, just like wearing a signet ring shows that I'm a member of a family. Being a, uh, baptized shows that you are a member of the family of God. That Jesus Christ has forgiven you. And it's such a powerful testimony today. We have the largest number of signups already that we've ever had. And we baptize a lot at the river if you've ever been. But to, uh, I really and truly anticipate today being the biggest baptism we've ever had. I love going down to the park. Man, I love that there are people down there. We come in, I like to say, we come in and look like a gang. That's not true. We look like a bunch of middle-aged people going, it's hot, let's get this thing on the road. All right, that's the way it is, really, you know, honestly. But, but we come in, everyone sees us. If you look at any of our old baptism pictures, one of my favorite things about baptism is sometimes we'll have this long line of people and we'll have somebody in the background like, you know, just stranger on a kayak. I love it. You, you know, they're like, what is going on? All of these people have given their life to Jesus Christ and are declaring their faith in him today. Wonderful, wonderful picture. You're wearing the signet ring of the family of God. Give your life to Jesus Christ today. 
Man, let him forgive you and put on his robe of righteousness. Let the world know how good God is in wearing that signet ring of baptism and standing up for him. You have the choice. You have the opportunity for both of those today. What does the family of God do? Chapter 6, rejoicing. Rejoicing. In all of the stories, there's rejoicing afterwards. So he said to the people, let's celebrate. Now, I don't know if you know much about cattle, but I would imagine almost none of you have ever ordered an entire cow. In other words, they, they slaughter it and they make hamburger and different uh, steaks and those type of things. And the reason is, is you don't have enough space in your freezer for all of those. Even if you've got a dedicated freezer outside, cows are big. And so when this man it is the same way, when he slaughters the fatted calf, they don't have freezers at all. So he's got to cook the whole thing. And it is way too much food for one family, even if you are a huge family. So what do you have to do? You invite the town. It's the only way you invite the town so that everyone gets to see. It's a celebration where everyone is invited to see how amazing God is and what God has done in bringing these children back home and bringing these lost sheep and these lost coins or a lost younger son who was rebellious and saying they're back home. People rejoice. We celebrate in that. We, we do it together tonight, man. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful time. So be there and be a part of it, even if you aren't being baptized, to see how cool it is that God is using your worship. God is using your service. God is using your tithes and offerings. God is using your prayers so that the lost may be saved. And it's such an amazing event for us. We, we rejoice together. Now, Jesus does something unheard of right now. Because the story should end. I mean, right? You've got tension of a problem. You've got conflict. You've got resolution. You've got all of this wonderful, this roller coaster ride. Every story that you've ever heard of. Every movie that you've ever heard of. And then everything is right. And all is well. And then seen over. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus goes on with the story. Chapter 7, Resistance. See, because the man had two sons. We know the story of the first son. That's the younger son, and he's now restored. He's now righteous. But chapter 7 is now the beginning of the second son's story. Now, his older son was in the field as he came near the house. He heard the music. He saw the dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, and he questioned what all these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him. Your father has slaughtered the fattened calf, and he has him back safe and sound. So then he became angry, and he went, and he wouldn't go in. So his father came out, and he pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, Look, I've been slaving all these many years for you. I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes home, what's he been doing? Oh, he's devoured your assets. He's been with prostitutes. He's sla you slaughtered the fattened calf for him? So he said to him, son, you're always with me. And everything I have is yours. Literally, he was going to give him everything. But we have to celebrate and rejoice. Your brother was dead and he's alive. He was lost and is found. The second son represents a whole different type of lostness than the first son. The first son does everything wrong and leaves. The second, the older son, does everything right and stays. 
He finished school. He never got in trouble with the law. He stayed away from drugs. He was always at church. He always did everything that he was supposed to do. And here this younger brother is now being rewarded because he messed up. And I've never messed up at all. The older brother is just as lost as the younger brother. The problem is the older brother doesn't know he's lost. The older brother hands the father the righteousness and says, look, I've earned it. I deserve it. I'm the good son. I've done everything right. Before my grandmother passed away, my grandmother was a wonderful Christian woman. One of the very last memories I have as she was dying uh, was her still reading her Bible and praising Jesus in the death process. And before she died, I asked my grandmother to tell me her testimony. How did you get saved? You know, I never knew a grandmother that wasn't faithfully living for the Lord. And she said, it took me a long time. She said, I was early in my teens. And she said, I was a good girl. She said, back then, she said, a lot of my friends, and they started and they were cussing. They were saying cuss words, Cody. And their parents, they were thinking that they were doing this one thing, but they were out and they were doing something else. And she said, I never did any of those things. She said, I never cussed, and I did exactly what my parents told me to do, and I never lied to them, and I was always there, and those people, they're the ones that needed to be saved. She said, but I was good. I was a good girl. And she said, but then all of a sudden I realized it was early, early teens, and she said, I felt so superior to them. She said, I was smug and arrogant and proud. And she said, and I was also starting to be tempted. She said, I kind of wanted to say a cuss word. You know, that's <laughs> some of you grew up with different grandmothers that taught you cuss words. I did not, okay? So I grew up with that grandmother that never said one. She said, but I was tempted to. And she said, I wanted to tell my parents I was doing this thing and then go off and do this thing. And, and she said, all of a sudden I realized that I couldn't bring my righteousness to God. I was relying on something that wasn't true even when I wanted it to be true. My, my grandmother was the older brother. She was the one not who did everything wrong and came back. She was the one who stayed and did everything right. And some of you have some proud moments in your life because you worked hard. You stayed in school. Man, you've prospered in your career. You've got money. You've got prestige. You've got something that other people admire. And you think that you can hold that out to God at the end of your days and even go, I am so glad you were here. You're the only person that didn't need to be saved. Man, I have been enjoyed watching your life, how amazing it has been. The older brother, the problem is that he improperly compares himself to someone else that's his problem see his younger brother man dishonored his father his younger brother went off and squandered it in wild living and he never did and he thought well i'm better than him but see that's in an improper comparison because the bible says there's only one comparison and that's the perfection of jesus christ sin is with uh, sin is um perfection in that you never miss the mark Sin isn't good. Sin is anything less than perfect. It's a, it's a picture of an arrow that goes in exactly the bullseye every single time. And even if you get a little bit off, that's sin. And the Bible shows that we've all done that. The older brother might have been good, but he wasn't perfect. 
And when we compare ourselves to perfection is when we see that our righteousness does not stand up in God's sight. And so the story ends with this weird moment. What happened? The sheep found the flock. The coin found the rest of the groups. The younger brother was reunited with the father and has a party. But the older brother, we don't know what happened. The context is important here because what happens is Jesus is teaching a story to two groups of people. The first group are the sinners and the tax collectors. They're the younger brothers. They're the ones that are like, I have messed up, man. I got nothing. I got to come home smelling like pig. But the other group was the um, Pharisees and the scribes. And they thought that they had not done anything wrong. And they're the older brother. And Jesus doesn't tell the end of the story because he looks at him and goes, so what are you going to do? So how are you going to react? See, the, the tax collectors and the sinners, they're already home. They're already with me. They're here right now. But you're here and you're bringing this self-righteousness, this theology. I don't think in our day it's, it's God's stuff. I think in our day, most of us, we bring you've done well in life. You've earned money, you have a position of power or influence, or you've made enough that you assume the car and the, the, you know, the cars and the boats and the, the things that you can accrue in money. And we think, yeah, I worked hard for all of this. And we think it's a self-righteousness in those things. So how does the story end? Well, we don't know. Because Jesus is offering to you today and he's saying, look, be like a son who comes home. Be like a son who repents of their sin, is reconciled to the Father. Be like a son who is restored in their righteousness. Be like a son who I throw a party for and says, man, I've been waiting for you. Welcome home. Let's pray right where we are. Some of you today might really, um, you, you just, you kind of agree with that younger son. You say like, that's, that's, my, that's my story. Maybe you've walked away from God and, and you're in the middle of it. I mean, you're not destitute, probably. You're, you're just, but you can see, hey, this isn't turning out the way I wanted it to. The partying isn't as fun anymore and it's costing a whole lot more. The road, I can see the end and I don't like the outcome. Today, won't you repent? It means to abandon, it means to turn around. To don't live that life anymore. To leave your sins behind and to trust in Christ. Jesus can give you his righteousness. His righteous robe as if you had never sinned. Through the blood that he shed. He was crucified on the cross. He was buried. And he was resurrected from the dead. Today let Jesus cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Forgive you of your sins. Today come home. You can pray and ask Jesus to come into your life right where you are. You can pray and ask Jesus to forgive your sins. Believe that God was uh, crucified. Jesus was crucified on the cross, buried and resurrected. And you will have eternal life. Some of you today, the, the, just like last week, the problem with the sermon is that you are burdened by someone that you know that's like a, a younger son. Someone that you love that's in your family, a friend, someone that you know that is away from God and you see 
the rebellion. You see the reality of where they're going and you are praying. Pray today, Luke 15. Pray, God, bring them back into repentance. Pray, God, bring them back to that right relationship with God that they were born to have. Jesus, don't let anything stand in the way. God, whatever it takes, because the most important thing in the world is our eternity. So use the circumstances around uh, their situation. And if you must make it difficult for a season so that they see what they're heading towards, God, do it. Because we value a relationship with you above all things. Some of you today need to pray and say, God, I want to wear the signet ring. God, I, I was, I was, I've been saved, maybe even right now, but I want to I wanna show up for my faith. I want to show others that I have uh, faith in Jesus. I want to publicly testify by that baptism. It's such a powerful thing. So much of momentum that we have in our church right now is we've had these regular baptisms. We're having these regular prayer times, and God is using one to propel the next, one to propel the next. So today... Won't you bring and won't you wear the signet ring and say, I'm a part of the family of God. As soon as we're done, you can go out these doors. And we would love to talk with you about baptizing you tonight, 5 o'clock. Those of you who are part of the family of God, man, there was rejoicing. The entire community was involved in, in eating the fattened, fattened calf. Be a part tonight at 5 o'clock. Pray, God, bring people out that, that will not only be baptized and stand up for their faith, but also those who need to see that testimony. People who are just at the park or kayaking. God, use that testimony in that public way. Finally, are you an older brother? Are you one that says, you know what? I'm doing okay. In fact, I'm doing really good. I'm working hard got a bright future the job is going well and I've got success and you offer up God this self-righteousness we need to repent of that as well that there's nothing in our life that would commend us to God it is only his love and forgiveness Jesus show us your righteousness in our life God help us to be excited when even the most wayward sinner comes back to Christ even the one who absolutely doesn't deserve it in any stretch of the imagination. God, we rejoice in their salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. I pray that the message gave you hope, that you were inspired, you were challenged. And I want to also encourage you that if you'd like to join us live, you can go to myrivervalley.church or download the River Valley app for more info about service times, directions, and ministries. And thank you for giving. Your generosity and how you serve as our church family is so important to us. You are helping reach people for the gospel of Jesus. You can go to myrivervalley.church give for more details there as well. We'll see you next week.